0: So we're in the book of Romans. Last time I preached, we went through the first 16 verses, and we're going to go through the last part of this chapter. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. The title of this message is, The Just Shall Live by Faith. Uh, The last time I taught, we ended in verse 16, and we saw that Paul's theme in these verses, the first 16, was the gospel or the good news of God. We learned that Paul was not chosen as an apostle because of his personal righteousness his religious pedigree, but he was selected by God when he was ignorant of God's big picture. He didn't understand God's plan, though he thought he was serving God. He was actually violently fighting God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. He was persecuting believers, violently arresting them and giving consent to their death. To magnify his own grace, God called Paul when he was the chief of sinners and persecuting Christ himself. Remember when Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, to persecute the church, to persecute believers, is to persecute Christ. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads. It's hard for you to kick against a sharp stone object. And yet God called Paul in his sinfulness to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul had nothing to boast about in himself, When it came to his salvation or his calling, all the glory belonged to God alone. Paul was saved by grace through faith and now he considered himself a debtor to tell everyone about this glorious gospel that saves undeserving sinners from the wrath of God. Remember verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power, that Greek word is dunamis, we get our English word dynamite from it, it's power, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul experienced and believed the power of the gospel to save when combined with faith in the person who hears it. Without faith, the gospel is just another religious story. It doesn't really make sense to the person who hears it. In fact, the Bible says that the cross, the message of the cross, which is the gospel, is foolishness to those that are lost. It doesn't make sense but to the one who believes it. To the one who believes it. The power of God explodes to life in them. Sinners are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Guilt from sins years ago is washed away. Chains are broken. Burdens are lifted. Drunks become sober. Drug addicts become sober. The unclean are made holy. The love of God is poured into the soul and the lost come home. The love of God... Shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to the one who always wondered, does anybody care? Does my life matter? Does anybody really love me? When you're saved, the Holy Spirit sheds abroad, pours over and abundantly that love of God into your heart. The saving power of God doesn't just sprinkle a little religion on you and make you a Sunday churchgoer, change your language when you're at church. No, it overwhelms your entire life. And it changes your very nature. You're born again by the word of God and all things are new. You begin to crave the pure milk of the word of God and you desire his will. And you want to be like him. The saving power of God exchanges your sins and condemnation for the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You are translated. That means you're picked up and you're relocated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of his dear son. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us as the guarantee of our sonship and to teach and to guide and to empower us in this new life. The saving power of God unites us with Christ in his death and resurrection. It delivers us from the power of sin and death and it guarantees our resurrection that we will live with him forever in glory. Hallelujah. Listen, Jesus didn't come to give us religion. He came to save us. To radically save us. Let's turn now to our passage in Romans 1. And we'll start in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Where has God chosen to display his righteousness in the earth? Where has he decided to put it up on display to declare it? In his children. In you and in me. That's where he's chosen to display his righteousness. To put it and to work it out and to reveal it before this whole world. Romans 3.26 says, "...to declare at this time his righteousness, that he might be just," which means righteous, "...and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus." Listen, verse eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Two things are revealed in verses seventeen and eighteen. It says that His righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, and it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Listen. It says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or hold down or suppress the truth. There are two groups of people here, those who respond positively to the gospel by faith and those who respond negatively to the word of God, who rebel against the word and they suppress it, they push it down, they don't want to hear it. Not only do they not want to come to church, they don't want to hear it if there's someone in the workplace talking about Jesus. They're just like, oh man, you're not going to really bring all that in here, are you? The wrath of God. This doesn't comport with much of our modern day preaching today. We want to think of God as just loving. We want to think of God as just bringing us to heaven and singing on clouds and playing harps. But the Bible says that the wrath of God is being stored up for those who are unwilling to receive his gospel. Unwilling to receive his son. Many mistakenly believe that because they have rejected the truth and they're now living how they want, And there's no instant wrath coming down from heaven that the judgment will never fall. They're just like, you know what? I've been living without God for a long time and things are going pretty good for me, right? But scripture tells us that God is long-suffering toward the wicked. He's not pouring out his judgment because he doesn't want to judge the wicked. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants us to come to repentance, to come to salvation. God's delight is to show mercy. But the wicked... He deceives in his own heart and says, you know what, I, my life is pretty good. I live how I want and I haven't faced any judgment yet. Romans 2.5 says, but after your hardness and impenitent, that means unrepentant heart, you're treasuring up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Listen, when all that period of time where God's being merciful and long-suffering to you and you're going your own way, you know what you're doing? You're storing up wrath for the judgment. You're compounding the interest of God's wrath because of your sins and your unwillingness to turn to Him when He has been so kind and good and offering you mercy. That's a scary thought. People think, oh, I'm not going to have to give an account of God. He's just going to forgive everybody. That's not what the Bible says. That Lamb of God, Jesus, it says in Revelation, He treads the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. His vesture is dipped in blood. He's going to judge the wicked guys. Thanks be to God that he has delivered us from the wrath to come. That Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself, that those who trust in him are delivered from condemnation. Verse 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God has put a basic knowledge of who he is in every person. Listen, no one can say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know that there was a God. It says, That which may be known of God is manifest or revealed to them, for God has showed it unto them. John 1 says that Jesus Christ is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. He gives some light to every man in their conscience. Listen, verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen. Not foggy. Clearly seen. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Psalm 19,1 through3 says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." You know what a great witness of God is? Just go out on a starry night and look up, look up at the sky. Look at the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There's no, there's no remote continent or no remote island where that message isn't being proclaimed day after day. The nature of God. Man is without excuse. He cannot say, I didn't know better. No one ever told me. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain or futile or useless in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen, it says there was a a period of time where they knew God or they had a knowledge of God. This is not saying that they had saving faith or that they fully understood the gospel and they received it. This is saying there's a general knowledge that God gives to everyone, a light of Christ coming into the conscience and the mind, drawing men to himself. But it says that when they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became useless or vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen. Listen. They didn't glorify him. They weren't thankful and the effect was that the light or the knowledge they did have, the light went out because when they did have a knowledge of God, when they saw God, they didn't acknowledge him and they weren't thankful. How important is thankfulness? How critical is it to respond to the light of God when you have it? Verse 22 to 23, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things you know anybody like that who thinks they're wise and they're really foolish? They've got things backwards. This darkened heart made them foolish and caused them to worship nature rather than the true creator. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts or desires of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The result of not acknowledging God and not thanking God and when that light was there, pushing it away and suppressing it, was that God gave them over to a darkened mind. They became fools. And it says, God gave them up to uncleanness. That means they were pressing for their lust. They just wanted to do things that dishonored God, dishonored their own bodies. And God said, if that's what you really want, I'm going to stop restraining you. I'm going to give you up to that uncleanness and the lust of your own heart. If men are bent on having their own way, eventually God will let them have it. If you are bent on having something, eventually God will let you have it. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. They put the creator out of the picture and they worship the creation as if it created itself. Yeah, evolution was not invented by Darwin. It's been in the heart of man for millennia to reject the creator and to worship the creation, to say every, everything came from itself. Listen, this, is, this worship of creation is prevalent in our world today. We have Earth Day. We didn't have Earth Day when I was growing up. It was invented, I think, in the 90s. Most people are more concerned about the earth and the environment than honoring God. Christians should be good stewards of this earth. Don't get me wrong. We should care for this earth. We shouldn't be foolish polluters, right? We should be good stewards. But we know that this present earth is reserved for fire and judgment, and it will be replaced by a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Again, God gave them up. He stopped restraining. He stopped holding them back. He said, if you really want this, I don't want you to go this way. I don't want you to go this way. But if you really want this, you've cast me out of your knowledge and you don't want my word. I'm going to let you have it. He gave them up to vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Speaking about lesbianism. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet or which was due or justified. All perversion, including homosexuality, is the effect of rejecting God and his word. Now listen to those that say, I have no homosexual desires. I never have. That's so gross. Can you believe that? You have your own sinful desires. You have your own, and I do too. And if someone is struggling with homosexual desires or temptations, or any other perverted desire or temptation, we should in mercy point them to Jesus. Point them to the cross. Point them to the victory that is in Christ. Amen? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, remember they just say, you know what? They weren't thankful. They didn't glorify him. They said, 'I I don't want God to be part of my thinking. I want to push him out. I feel, I feel bad when I think about God. Why? Because he's holy and he's going to convict you of your sins and he's going to require something of you. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. He gave them over to a reprobate or a debased mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see, there's this downward progression of the person that rejects God. And their perversions yesterday are not fulfilling them and so their perversions are going to get more perverse the more they drift from God, the more they push away God and are given over to a reprobate mind. Verse 29, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Are, do we see this in society today? I do. They scoff at the judgment of God and delight in those that are rebellious like they are. As the writer of Hebrews said, Beloved, we are persuaded of better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we speak like this. But listen, this passage shows us what is the, what is the end of those that say, I don't, I don't need God in my life. I don't need God in my knowledge. They eventually are given over to a reprobate mind, and God gives them over to their sins, to their lusts. There's a passage I think in Corinthians that says, "Though you were like this, some of you were thieves and drunkards and greedy and whoremongers and and homosexuals and all the list." And it says, "But such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were cleansed, you were justified in the name of our God by the Spirit of our God. You were changed." Thank God there is hope for the vilest person who says, I'm unworthy. There's no way I could God would ever receive me. The blood of Jesus is greater, friends. The power of the cross is greater to cleanse and redeem and to make new. Hallelujah. Let's go back to the passage in verse 17 where Paul says, the just shall live by faith. Paul shows us over and over again that God gives us the free gift of Christ's righteousness when we believe in Jesus This is so deep and so awesome. Please try to get what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today from his word. God sees us just as he sees Jesus, the perfect one, when we are born again through faith in him. He sees us the same. He imputes, he charges the righteousness of Jesus to us when we believe on him. That is awesome. That is awesome. But notice that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We begin by faith. That's how we are saved, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest anyone should boast. We begin with faith, but it's faith to faith. It's a continuing in faith. We don't start with faith and then try to perfect ourselves by the law, by our own efforts, by trying harder. We walk in the Spirit. We continue to walk by faith. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is very profound. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I've been saved, but I've been more than that. I've been crucified with Christ. And I live, I live now because of him. And he said, The life that I now live, I live looking to the Son of God by faith in the Son of God. You see, righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. But so many of us as believers, we come to Christ, we experience that cleansing, that amazing change, that victory. If we're a drunk, all of a sudden we say, I'm, I'm not a drunk anymore. I don't desire liquor anymore. How is this? This is incredible. And this washing of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus and this hunger for the Word of God. And you're like, man, this is awesome. This is incredible. And then you live the Christian life for a few years and you say, well, all these kind of big sins kind of fell off of me when I got saved. But now I got these other things in me that I keep fighting, that keep getting the the victory over me. And I, and I, I'm kind of losing my joy and I'm kind of losing my strength and I'm losing my drive. Is is this what this is supposed to be? I thought, I thought I was free. The Bible says whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Why do I not feel free? Why am I still going back to those old things? Listen, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. There are two ways to live life for God. One does not work at all, never has, and never will. And yet most Christians are still trying to live this way. Do you know what it is? It's through the law. Paul said in Romans 7, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy, just, and good. It's spiritual. But there's something wrong with me. I delight in the law. I look at God's word and I say, that's right, that's right, that's right. I need to do that. I need to obey that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out on Sunday after I heard that great message and I'm going to do it. And you don't even realize. We don't even realize that we're looking at God's word and we're trying to do God's word by the law. Guess what? Do you know what the, where the law points? it points to you and you and you and me and says, this is my standard, do it. Let me tell you something. There's no one in this room. There's no one on this planet. There's no one on this planet that has ever lived or or will ever live that has been able to take God's law and to please God. The just shall live by faith. A different way, a different way. Looking, looking. Listen, to walk in the Spirit is to still look at the, the Word of God. See its righteous requirements. And then not look at myself to fulfill it, but to look to Jesus Christ by faith, to say he has gotten the victory. He has won the victory over my lust, over my pride, over my jealousy, over my tongue. He has won the victory. And God says, look to me and find my victory. Friend, if you live by the, if you try, the law is a mirror, it shows us our sin. Now, if you take that mirror and try to wash your body with it, it doesn't work. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7. He said, I consent to the law of God. It's good. It shows me what's right and wrong. I see that it says don't lust, and I don't want to lust. But guess what? When I try to not lust, I keep lusting. And the good that I want to do, that I see the word says, I I don't do it. I keep failing. And he says at the end, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul was saved in Romans 7, but he he had to learn this lesson. You cannot start in the Spirit by faith and get saved and then finish by your own strength by trying to keep the law. It cannot be done. Paul said, I know that in my flesh, in my body, dwells no good thing. For I desire to do what is right, but the power to do it isn't there. It's not there. My friend, if Paul couldn't do it, do you think you can? Do you think I can? Certainly not. God wanted to teach Paul and every one of us That our victory is already won by Jesus Christ at the cross and through his resurrection. The victory is already won and we experience that victory which is ours by faith. The just shall live by faith. Not just be saved by faith, but we're going to live by faith. We're going to walk in the spirit and we're going to have victory by faith. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. And then in Romans 6, 5, and 6, he says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should not serve sin. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sins to the cross. And he took that spiritual, unspiritual body of sin, that old man, that flesh, To the cross with him. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And here in Romans 6, 5, and 6, it says, we've been planted together in the likeness of his death. Christ took all that body of sin with him to the cross so that we could be free from sin, so that we could serve him in the power of his spirit. Listen, the old man or the flesh is not your physical body, but it's the body of sin within fallen man. Paul was saying that when Jesus was crucified, positionally he was crucified with him. Jesus took our old man and he destroyed its power over us so that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we can serve God in the freedom and the power of his spirit. I want to give you an illustration that may help you understand this passage better, and I will warn you, it is a little bit gruesome, but it is true. There's ancient historical evidence for a terrible form of capital punishment employed by Etruscan pirates. In which a corpse would be tied to a living person, usually a criminal, until the living person succumbed to the decaying body it was bound to. I'm going to quote this, which I found Cicero citing Aristotle said, A living man or woman was tied to a rotting corpse, face to face, mouth to mouth, limb to limb, with an obsessive exactitude in which each part of the body corresponding with its matching putrefying counterpart. Shackled to their rotting double, the man or woman was left to decay. To avoid the starvation of the victim, to ensure that the rotting bonds between the living and the dead were fully established, the Etruscan pirates continued to feed the victim appropriately. I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna finish this. It's gross. What would happen if a body, a living person, was tied to a corpse? Eventually the putrefaction and the death in that corpse would cause the healthy person to become sick and die. Right? Listen, I, I shared this for two reasons. One so you can see the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Sin is like that body of sin. It's that body of sin, that corpse. It's rotting. It's decaying. It's disgusting. And yet we are, we're still willing to, to embrace it. Sin is awful. It put Jesus to the cross. But listen, when Jesus went to the cross, he took that old nature, that old man, that putrefying dead flesh upon himself. Paul said he did it for me. But I want to tell you that he did it for every one of us. He took our old man and he defeated it at the cross so that we wouldn't have to carry around. Can you imagine? I was going to do this illustration with Juan Carlos, but I'll spare you. Imagine if, I, if Juan Carlos came up here and I just grabbed around his shoulders and I just hung on him like dead weight. Juan Carlos is a strong guy. He's not going to get too far. He's not going to be able to go too far, is he? He's going to fall down. He's going to stumble under my weight, even though he's strong. Listen, before we came to Christ, we walked around with that dead nature. That's all we had. And it just drove us further and further into the ground. We couldn't please God. We didn't want to stop sinning. We wanted to keep sinning. We loved it. But God has made us new creatures in Christ. All things are made new. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. He said in in chapter 6 that the body of sin might be destroyed. It's crucified with Christ. And yet why do we feel, if we're honest, that in our experience, feel like the, that old man is still hanging on me. You ever feel like that? Do you ever wear a hat like all day or maybe four or five hours and you take it off and you think it's still there? You ever have that happen? It's like it feels like it's still there because you've been wearing it so long. Listen, Christ has defeated the power of sin and of the sinful man at the cross. He wants us to claim his victory and believe his victory when we're tempted. Instead of looking at myself or just saying, you know, the scripture says, don't lust at a woman. If you lust at a woman, it's like you've committed adultery already. I know that, Lord. If I'm living by the, the, the operation of the law, I'm going to look at the word, and I'm going to go, okay, better do what's right. You better do what's right. Guess what? That doesn't last. It's going to take you down. You're going to fail. But when I attempted to look lustfully at a woman or think wrong thoughts, if I look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm looking to your victory at the cross, if I live by faith in the Son of God, his victory at the cross which I positionally have, becomes mine by experience. That's how Jesus wants us to live. That's walking in the Spirit. It's yielding to the Spirit when we're tempted to sin. We don't look to ourselves to fulfill that, to to have the strength. We look to Christ. Do you understand that? I hope you get that. I hope you get that. We need the Word of God. But my friend, Paul had the Word of God in Romans 7 and he was still going in this circle of defeat. It wasn't until he realized, I'm... I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to that old way through the body of Christ. I'm dead to that old way of living in my own strength. It doesn't work. It can't work. I'm looking to Jesus for my victory. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In ancient Israel, you remember that God promised the Israelites that they would inherit something. Remember what that was? The promised land, right? I'm going to bring you into a land which flows with milk and honey, where, where there's iron in the mountains, and you can mine brass, and you can make things. It's going to be an incredible place. Sounds great, God, but there's a problem. What's that, God? There's a bunch of giants living in that land, well-trained armies living in that land, and their people are more numerous than our people. God said, I'm giving you that land, and I'm going to drive out those inhabitants. I've waited 400 years for their wickedness to come to a fulfillment. Like we read in Romans chapter 1, those last verses about people who reject the knowledge of God and say, I don't want God. They're not thankful. They don't glorify him. They get worse and worse and worse, given over to their lust. That's what happened to the seven nations living in Canaan. They became so vile, so wicked. God says, I have no recourse but to wipe them out. I'm taking them out and I'm bringing you in. And he said, I will drive them out from before you. I will send the hornet before you for the ones that are hard to find and I'll get them out. And in some cases, they had battles where all they had to do was circle the city seven times and the walls came crumbling down. The power of God gave them victory. The promise and presence of God gave them victory. But God said, I have defeated them, but you're going to have to drive them out. Listen, and he said this in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, I won't drive them out all at once, but little by little, I will drive them out from before you. And he said, don't make peace with them. Don't make a covenant with them. They are completely given over to wickedness. I don't want your sons marrying their daughters, their daughters marrying your sons, because they'll turn away your heart from me and you'll start to worship their idols. I'm bringing you into this good land, but you've got to believe me for my victory and I will give you victory over every inhabitant, giants or not. You're going to wipe them out. Caleb and Joshua, when the first 12 spies went into the land, when Moses was alive, came back and had a. they brought the the big grapes, remember the giant grapes? And 10 of the spies said, it's a good land. It's amazing. But we're not able to enter in. There's, there's armies there. There's giants there. We, 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 we're, gonna, we're like grasshoppers. But Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. And they said, we are well able to overcome. Their protection has departed. God has promised us the land. He's already given us the victory. Let's go up at once and take it. That's what God wants us to do as New Testament believers. When you struggle against whatever it is, you name it, and it stands before you, it's like, it's a giant. I've tried before, and I can't beat it. You say, God has promised me the victory through Jesus Christ, through the cross. That's my victory. And I'm telling you, if you will put your eyes on him and yield to what he is leading to according to his word and his spirit, you will experience victory. You know what happened? The people couldn't enter in for 40 years. They wandered in the desert. God sustained them. He cared for them, but their carcasses fell. And Joshua and Caleb were the only men, over 40 years old, or was it over 18, that entered into the promised land. They said, we are well able to come to enter in. He said, they are our breakfast. They're our bread. The enemies of God. When God says, I've destroyed them, it's already done. We just have to walk in it. That's why when you read the scriptures and it says, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. What we're to do? We're not having another crucifixion. We're taking those lustful thoughts, those sinful things that are in our heart. We listen. The old man is defeated, but you will always, as long as we're in this body, be tempted. Right? The old man isn't hanging on you anymore. He's just tapping you, and you are free, and I am free to not sin by the power of Christ, what He's done. But you also are free to sin. In fact, in sign language, you know this. This is temptation. It's the tap on the elbow. That's what the old man does. And sometimes it feels like he's there at our ear speaking over and over again. And sometimes it feels like the hat's still on, like he's hanging on us. Turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to the cross. Like Jesus, you've won the victory. You've crucified my flesh with you. You took that hanging corpse and you took it upon yourself on the cross. You have defeated it. You see, the Israelites that didn't believe God for victory, it was theirs positionally. They did not experience it. Listen, don't think that your victory is going to come. Listen, I'm all for praying for people and praying for God's victory to be realized. But sometimes we think, if I just come forward and there's some special guy with an anointing and he prays for me, I'm going to be free. Let me tell you something. You already have all the victory in Jesus Christ at the cross. All the victory is there. You need to apply it by faith. Apply that victory. Walk in the Spirit. Listen, in the book of Judges, it says, it says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass, as Judges 1, 1, and 2, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. God said, I have given you the victory. Now walk in it. Walk in it. Walk in my spirit. Walk by faith in me. Sad story is that Judah did pretty well. They pretty much eliminated all the enemies in their land. But many of the other tribes only did a partial fight against their enemies. They only drove out a few tribes of the enemies. And then they put the enemies under tribute. In other words, they just had a compromise with them. They said, you know, these people are kind of tough to kick out. We've made some progress and some victory. Let's just settle down here. And you know what? They got iron chariots. You know, there's some, there's some giants still there. I, I, let's just settle down here. And they settled down. For compromise, when God said, Drive them all out. And you know what happened in the book of Judges? They started the cycle. They didn't fully obey God. They didn't drive out the adversaries. And they made friendships with the enemies in the land, shared the marriages with their daughters and sons. And they fell into idolatry. They lost their privileged position. They fell into bondage. And then they'd cry out to God. God would raise up a deliverer, deliver them. And then the the deliverer, the, the judge would die. And then they'd start the cycle all over again, all over again. Listen, God has better things for his church. Haven't we circled this mountain long enough? Listen, I'm not saying that when you understand this, that you're going to go out and have perfect victory and never sin. Listen, I'm not saying that. It's little by little, but God wants to teach us to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We've been given the victory through Jesus Christ. Let's throw off discouragement. Let's Throw off the lie that we can't have victory. That we're just always going to be this way. That we're never going to break through. Jesus Christ has won. He's won the victory. Let's seize it. Let's seize it. Romans 8, I'm going to close shortly. Verses 3 and 4 and then 12 and 13 says, For what the law could not do. Remember, the law is good and just and holy, but it cannot make us right with God. It cannot give you power to obey God. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. So we don't use the law to be cleansed. We walk in the Spirit by faith in Christ to be obedient. But we fulfill the righteousness of the law. So some people say, oh, I'm not under the law anymore. I don't have to do that. that, that that's, you know, God says this is right. I don't have to do that. Well, actually, yeah, you do. The standards of God haven't changed. In fact, the New Testament standards are higher than the Old Testament standards. But the only way they can be fulfilled is through the Spirit. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Therefore, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Hallelujah. This I say then, Galatians 5, 16 through 18, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Do you know what the answer to you getting victory is? It's walk in the spirit. It's walk by faith in the son of God who loved you and gave himself for you and got the victory for you over your enemies at the cross. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you can't do the things that you want to. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Do you understand that? God wants his people to walk in the Spirit. The just shall live by faith. We know that we will always have temptation as long as we live in this body. But if we turn to Jesus by faith, we can have victory every time. We fail when we don't look to Jesus for victory by faith. I love this. I'm going to close with this last phrase. This old hymn line came to me when I was walking yesterday. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the captives free. Friend, our sins have been canceled. The guilt of them, the power of them, the dominion of them at the cross. Let's experience that as we look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that you enable us to live in a way that pleases you, not the old way by looking to ourselves through the law, but by looking to you and your victory at the cross. God, I'm going to ask you one thing, that you would let this sink in to your people and that you would continue to teach us this truth in Jesus' name. Amen.